We're going to continue what we've been doing. If, you're, if, if this is your first time here in um, a while, we are starting to study the Word of God together. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we're starting to study with a little bit different approach where we just let the text say what the text says and we discuss it and we walk through it together. Um, so it's a little bit different approach. Um, but uh, usually we meet together in some small groups, um, some of them larger than small groups, but small groups where we can sit around and we just let the Word say what the Word says and the teacher that's in there just kind of leads you in some discussion. Well, we're going to continue with that mode and we're going to continue doing that, but kind of in a larger group setting. We have about six weeks together uh, that we're going to be doing this and then we have some really cool things planned for this summer. Um, a lot of stuff that God is doing within our midst um, that God, as we've been praying about some things, as we've been asking the Lord, Lord, what do you desire of us and what are you doing in our group and what, where do we need to go? Um, he, has, he has done some really neat things in order to show us where we need to go. And so I'm um, really excited about that. It, again, if you know some of your friends, a, a, a lot of people come into the small groups and, and they just shut down because it's like, oh, I can't be a wallflower. I can't, be, I can't just walk in the door and sit in the class and then leave. Um, that's kind of the point of why we're in small groups because we want people to engage uh, with others in community. But if they haven't been here for a while, let them know, hey, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in large group. Get over it. Come back, hang out, whatever. If they come, they come. If not, you did your part, okay? All that aside, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We recognize you as the author of the Word of God, that it's not just some, some words that were written so long ago uh, and have nothing to do with us today, but Father, that your Word is indeed living, that it is alive, that it is active, that it cuts through all of the stuff all the junk, all the masquerade that we put on, all of the religion that we try to wear and we try to portray to others, and it gets to the heart of the matter really quickly. And so, Father, this morning as we come before you, Lord, we come before you and we ask that we would be able to feast on the Word of God. We ask that the Holy Spirit of God would teach us for those of us that are believers, that the resident teacher would lead us and guide us into all truth. And Father, that as we look at your word, that we would be transformed, that we would renew our mind, that we would no longer be patterned after either this world or the religiosity of the church. But Father, that we would be transformed to be more like our Jesus. Not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but Jesus who lived a radically different lifestyle than the religious leaders of that day. So Lord, we ask that you would do that. Stir our affections for Jesus today so that we might live the life that you've called us to live. Father, for those that do not know you in this room that are still weighing the options and considering the cost, Lord, we ask that you would show them and level them and show them that only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. And so, Lord, in the name of the satisfier, in the name of the heart 
renovator, Jesus Christ, the one who's taken my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh and given me the Spirit of God to lead me in truth and walk in your ways. We pray these things by his name and in his authority. Amen. All right, so for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about um, a couple things. Uh, That's real vague. Um, But what, when you think of the word revolution, what do you think of? The Beatles. Nice. Tell me about that, Randy. Why do you think about the Beatles? I think they have a song that has a word in it. Oh, the word revolution in it. Anybody know some of the words to that song? We are talking about the Beatles in a Baptist church. We're so seeker sensitive. What? Anybody? You say you want... Oh, we're singing it now. Woo! You say you want a revolution, right? Want to change the world. Go figure. Okay? You say you want a revolution and you want to change the world, right? Okay, usually when revolutions happen, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on what side you're on, right? Okay, if you are in a dictator country, a tyrannical government, and there's a revolution, good or bad? Possibly could be good. Depends on how we do it. Bad for Fidel Castro, right? Okay. Uh, American Revolution. Good thing, bad thing? Bad for England. Good for us, right? Okay. The people that were in the group were under the rule, were sick of the pattern of life, and what they do? Well, that's just the way it is. I guess I'll just continue with my business. Some did. Some didn't. They what? They fought to change it. Did they just go and do a bunch of pipe bombs and throw them at people and kill everybody all at once? Not at first, right? Pipe bombs, they didn't have those back then. They, they, they came, they left the tyrannical rule, they came over here, and what they try to do? Anybody? Any American history people in here? You've had that class, right? You know? There's this thing called the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, that's pretty important. And there's this thing called the American Revolution where we said hey, we're not going to let you do that to us anymore. We're going to take up arms and we are going to fight. And there's some people that were still on the side of Britain when they were over here in the United States. And then there were others who got together and said, you know what? Under our creator, there are certain inalienable rights that everyone has. And we are going to fight for those rights. And we're going to do it. And so we are here today as a result of that revolution. Well, we're not talking about take up arms against anybody type of revolution for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about a revolution that happened with the one that we say that we follow. His name is Jesus, and he lived a pretty revolutionary type of life. 
consider with me the type of life that Jesus, where he entered into within the scene, okay? He entered into a religious type of environment where there were all these outward things that people had to do. There were all these outward things and people added to those outward things and said, not only do you have to do this, but you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this in order to really be religious. In order to really be with God, you had to do all of these things. And Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't live the life that they have said he has to live. He doesn't live the life according to the religious system. Okay? So I think it's pretty applicable to us today because there's a religious system. There is this thing that happens where we think that we have to be a certain way. We think that if we go through the motions and if we play this part and we put on the makeup, so to speak, of Christianity, that we are okay and that we fit within the system. But that's not what the revolutionary leader Jesus Christ was about. He wasn't about just walking an aisle, being dunked in a pool, and that's it. He was about a revolution. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these revolutionary things that Jesus said and how he didn't just buck the system, he didn't just fight against the system, he showed what the original intent of the system was. Okay? So, how many of you um, have had someone tell you in your life that you have to do this or be this in order to be a Christian? You got to do this or be this in order to be a Christian. What are, the some, what are some of the things that people tell us we have to do or be in order to be a Christian? Read your Bible. Got to go to church. I mean, hello. Never do wrong. Be a good person. Walk down the aisle, fill out a card, and you're now a member. Yeah, Joel had a really interesting Facebook, com- not so much conversation, discussion, argument. Uh, anybody see that this week? Yeah, pretty cool. Go look at it later. Be forewarned, there's some language involved, not from Joel's part, okay? Because Christians don't cuss, right? That's another one. What else? Don't do drugs. Okay. Don't do drugs. What else? Pray. You got to pray. I mean, hello. See what happens when you recognize Joel and then he just takes it and keeps going. Going. What else? Don't mess up. You got to be perfect. Kind of like what Wayne was sharing. Anybody else? Get baptized. You got to tithe. I mean, true believers tithe. Make sure you look good on Sunday. Good job, everybody. Nice. Anything else? Anything else? Don't lose your temper. All Irish and Italians are no longer Christians. 
myself included. You have to share your faith. You don't have parties, you have fellowships. You don't dance, even though David danced before the Lord naked. Oh, where's that church? And I don't want to go there. Okay. What else? Can't go to Billy Bob's, which is huge, by the way. Didn't realize how big that place was. And now I know what Billy Bob's is. When someone said that earlier, I was like, Billy Bob's. Okay. All right, so there's all these things. Are all of them bad? No. Are some of them true? If you are going to be a growing Christian, do you need to be in the Word? Yeah. Can you grow as a child without eating daily? No. Once a day? No. They eat like every two hours when they're a new baby. Right? And then, do you stay on Gerber food when you're 13? That'd be a little awkward. There'd be some other things that would be awkward if you were 13 that babies do, right? Do you stay there? Ew, gross. And yet, there's some believers who have been believers for 13 years that are still stuck on the milk of the word and haven't moved to, let me introduce you to some solid food. Solid food, mm, okay, that's great. Let me introduce you to Outback Filet Mignon. Right on. Okay, so, well, Jesus boiled it all down, boiled that message into a couple of things for you. Basically, the bottom line question that we're asking is, what does God want from me? What does God expect from me? You know, think of all the things we do for people's expectations. What are some things we do because other people expect us to do? Not, out, not in the church, but outside of the church. What are, what are some expectations that are on us? Help me out. Talk to me. Um, as anything. As a... As a son or daughter, as a boyfriend, girlfriend, as a tenant within your apartment complex, what are expectations people have on us? You go home for the holidays. Jeremy, you have tons of stuff going on this week with your job. What are some expectations that are on you? Get the job done. Do whatever it takes. Sleepless nights. Do it through the night. Get the job done. Right? And you'll do that because that's your job. What about girlfriend, boyfriend relationships? What are some expectations? Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> that's why I'm in here. <laughs> what are some of them? Be faithful. What a <laughs> Tracy's back up there writing some notes down. <laughs> Brilliant. What else? Uh, maybe wear some deodorant. I mean, right? Ladies, is, is, that, is that good, wear deodorant? Yeah? 
spend some quality time. Ben's number is 817. <laughs> quality time, right? These are expectations. It's not that the person has uh, wrong expectations. I mean, if the person was like, yeah, and you need to give me all your money and let's go shopping. I'm going to buy all your clothes for you. Not buy all your clothes for you, but tell you, no, don't wear that, wear that. And I'm going to be all up in your face and tell you all these things. You can't be that friends with that person anymore. Those are bad expectations, right? But everywhere we go, there are expectations upon us. But what does God expect of us? And what does, when God expects something of us, is it on the same playing field as what my employer expects? Is it on the same plane as what my parents expect from me now that I'm in college or out of college? Is it on the same playing field as what my boyfriend or girlfriend expects of me? Yes or no? Shouldn't be. And usually it's, here's what my boyfriend or girlfriend expects me, and here's what God expects of me, right? So what we're going to look at is, what does God expect of you? How do you live a God-pleasing life? We're going to be going through this book called Loving God and Loving Others, The Heart of True Faith. What does it take to live a God-pleasing life? Centuries ago, the experts in Jewish law took the Ten Commandments and they multiplied them into 613 commandments. Here's the 10 that they did not want to break, and so they put all these walls around the 10 so that they would be sure not to break those 10. Okay, 613 laws. Talk about confusing. Jesus, however, took the Ten Commandments, and what did he do? He narrowed them down, and he fulfilled them. Let's look at what he said. When an expert in the law asked which was the greatest commandment, Jesus answered by referring to this thing called the Shema. Everybody say that word. Shema, that's cool. A basic confession of faith in Judaism that calls the people to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This answer is what the law you're expected. Everybody knew this. Oh yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, good job, Jesus. However, what Jesus said next totally floored, totally surprised him. His listeners changed the course of history and started a revolution of which we have the call to be a part of this revolution today. Not only were God's people to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's a big deal. What else were they supposed to do? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? The religious leaders of that day had one goal, get rid of Jesus, if there's a revolutionary in the, in, the, in the midst and you're part of the other team, what do you try to do for the, to the revolutionary? Stamp them out, get rid of them, make sure that their ideas do not infect other people, right? Well, look at what Jesus said. You have Matthew 22 right in front of you. What I want you to do is read through this with me. And when we come to places that uh, Jesus is mentioned, let's mark Jesus, okay? This is a little weird for some of you guys. It's okay. We'll get over it. We're going to observe the text together, all right? When we get to Jesus, we're going to put a cross on it. And when we get to the word love, 
We're going to say it like Barry Manilow and mark it, okay? Some of you don't know who Barry Manilow is. He has a really deep voice. Does he have a deep voice? Who's, who's the guy who has the deep voice? Barry White. Sorry, Barry Manilow. Who's that? We don't like Barry Manilow. What's the other guy's name again? Barry White. Love. Hey, girl. Looking good. That guy. Okay, here we go. Matthew 22, verse 34. Marking Jesus, marking love, okay? Call it out so we know that we're, we're getting it the same place, same thing. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus, we're not saying like, saying that like the other guys. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. What did Jesus do? He owned them. What's the other word? He pwned them, okay? He got them. He silenced them. They did not, they could not say anything to what Jesus had said. So they have a little camp meeting, a little, we got to re-strategize, recalibrate. Verse 35, one of them, a lawyer asked him, who's that? Jesus. One of them, a lawyer asked Jesus a question. What was the purpose? Testing him. Okay? Mark Jesus right there. He comes up to him. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You can mark teacher if you want to. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Now, what's this guy trying to do? Test him. He's trying to catch Jesus, trying to get him, okay? What's the greatest commandment? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall... Nice. Oh, let's try that again. Wayne did a great job. One, two, three. Oh, that was weak. Oh, well. That almost said something hateful. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Okay, we, we said, yeah, that was what was expected. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole of the law and the prophets. Every other commandment is built on these two things. Love God, love people. So, all of the Ten Commandments have to do with love God, love people. Okay? So we're going to walk through and think about that. What did the Pharisee ask Jesus here? Talk to me. What's the greatest commandment? What was the response? Love. Love what? Love God, the Lord, your God, and love others. But he qualifies these for us a little bit. Love God to what extent? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of mind. Okay, that's quite an extensive thing there, right? Quite a commandment. And then he qualifies the second commandment. What's he say? Love your neighbor to what extent? As yourself. Do you love yourself? Yes, you do. 
It depends on the day. Today, I'm have, I don't love you today. You talk to yourself in the mirror. I don't love you. No? Okay? That'd be a little weird. The phrase, the law and the prophets, was the standard way of referring to the Hebrew scriptures for the Old Testament. When Jesus said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets, not just the Ten Commandments, but everything from Genesis all the way through. Everything that God said in the Old Testament depends on these two things. Summed up in these two things. Love God, love people. That's pretty crazy. In boiling the law down to two commandments, was Jesus doing away with the rest of the law and the prophets? Was he saying, don't worry about all that stuff in the Old Testament that doesn't have to do with it? Well, let's look. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 17. It should be the next one on you, um, on your list. Mark Jesus again. Mark the law and mark the commandments, okay? I'm going to let you do this one on your own. Mark Jesus and in the pronouns, and then mark law or commandments another way. doesn't matter how you do it, but go for it. can't believe this guy's making me read this on my own. Yeah. All right. You might not be finished yet, but we'll talk about it. Um, the point of marking, by the way, is to slow your brain down. It's not because we you know, want to do this paint by numbers or busy work type of thing. It's to slow our brain down because we, we miss so much when we read it so quickly. But to slow our brain down so that we observe what the text says, so we see what the text says. So right here, what, what do you learn about Jesus from where you mark Jesus? Look at where you marked him and, and tell me what it tells you about him. Okay? He did not come to abolish the law. What's abolish mean? To do away with, to say, ah, don't worry about that. I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. What's the word fulfill mean? I came to meet the requirements of the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to show you that this is what a law-abiding person looks like, to fulfill it. Anything else you see about Jesus? Earlier it was said, what's the expectation of you as a believer? And somebody said, to be perfect. What would Jesus say about that? It's impossible for you to be perfect on your own, but is that the expectation? Look at what Jesus says here in this text. I don't know, maybe around verse 20. What's he say? You would have to be perfect in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, your right standing with God, unless your righteousness surpasses that of who? The scribes and the Pharisees. Who are they? Somebody tell me who they are. The religious leaders. So they, do they get the law? Do they understand? Do they try to keep the law? Yeah, so Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of those who keep the law, then what? 
you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Interesting. Tell me what you see about commandments here. What do you learn there? Or the law. Whoever keeps them will be called great and teaches them. Cool. Second part of that, though, there's a contrast that he's making here. Yeah. Whoever changes it, what, what's that phrase right there? What verse is that? Verse 18, 19. Whoever changes it. What's verse 18 say about the law? It'll be there until heaven and earth pass away. And what were you saying? Okay, anything else right there? It won't change. Not the smallest letter or stroke. Not even the smallest minute detail of the law is going to pass away. Okay, so take a step back. Look at what you learned so far. Jesus, did he come to say, oh, you don't have to do the law anymore? Which is taught in a lot of churches today. Do you have to do the law anymore? Did he come to abolish the law? No. What did he come to do? Fulfill the law. Anybody who comes to you and says, oh, you don't have to keep the law anymore, What's, what does it, this say about them? Least. The person who says, hey, keep the law, great. And then he comes back at the very end and says, unless. This is what the whole, a lot of the book of Matthew is about. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, what? You will not enter. What are we talking about there? You will not. No heaven. No heaven for you unless righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And you know what Jesus does in the rest of the book of Matthew? He defines and shows you what true righteousness looks like. He then, after this, begins to teach on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I tell you. Like with the lust thing that we're doing over there uh, across the street. We're not lusting over there, but the series that we're going through. We are looking at, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, all that kind of stuff. But I tell you, what? Every man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. So Jesus is defining what righteousness is in that. Okay? So let's keep going. This is a little confusing. Jesus' intent was to fulfill the law. Paul, writing the letter uh, of Romans, commented on what the law meant for a Christian. Look at Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let's mark love and commandment. Okay? We'll do this one together. Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has done what? Has fulfilled the law. Why did Jesus come? 
Not to abolish, but to fulfill. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, Mark Law. For this you shall not, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, mark it the same way as law, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Look at love in Romans 13. What do you see? What? There's a lot of love, Anna says. Tell me about it. What's the text say? She says it's an if-then statement. If you love, then you won't do these things. Look at the first reference to love. What do we see there? Oh, nothing except love. Unpack that. What's that mean? Oh, nothing except love to your neighbor? What do y'all think that means? Love unconditionally? Love like you are in debt to them. Don't owe money to somebody. Owe love to them. Like you're in debt to them. Owe them love. Okay, that's interesting. Why? We got a clarification here. Because... The person who loves his neighbor has done what? If that's the fulfillment of the law, then love. Love, love, love. Let me ask you a real quick question. How, how is the church doing as far as being known for our love? Pass or fail. This is a pass or fail class. Pass or fail. Yeah. Good. American church. Fail. <laughs> she takes it, not pass, fail, but judgment. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nairi's number is, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Then it's real easy to point the finger at the church, but let's take it to us. If you're a child of God, are you known by love? If love is the fulfillment of the law, then, and Jesus was all about love, then, well, see, then you have to clarify what love is and what love isn't. See, today, what do we think of when we think of love? Huh? Romance. Tolerance of everything. Acceptance. Smiling faces, lust is defined as love now, right? Oh, I'm in love with him. Oh, I fell out of love with him. Whatever, right? Weakness. Who defines love for us? God, and who is the example of love for us? Jesus. Was Jesus just this like hippie tripping guy? Oh, I love you, man. All the time? 
No. Have you read the gospel recently? What did Jesus do to some people? He was a man. He was a man's man. What did he do, Ben? Yeah. Go read the book of Matthew sometime. Very end of it. Woe to you, you brood of vipers. Love. Right? But that's what love is. Read 1 Corinthians 13, not with the, oh, this is a marriage passage, but this is tough as nails, hard to do love. This isn't this flowery, like, emotional thing. This is take up your cross and follow Christ, die to yourself type thing. It's hard. And we're to owe nothing to anyone except love. Now, look at what it says in verse 9 right there. How is you shall not commit adultery? How is that loving your neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because you're going to love your neighbor. Would you like it if someone committed adultery with your wife? I'm waiting for that one. Okay. No, right? Well, you know, whatever. No, you would not like that. Okay? What about one another? Would you love it if someone committed murder? No? Dear, when our uh, baby stroller was stolen yesterday, did you feel loved? No. Quite the opposite. Did you love in return? Working on it. <laughs> Working on it. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, let's keep going. A line from a popular song asks, what's love got to do with it? Who sings that song? That is real old. Tina Turner. Nice. Rolling on a river. What's love got to do with it? So what does love have to do with obeying the commandments? You see, you think of, if I'm, if I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to do all these things. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Well, what does love have to do with that? It's not in you. If, if you get the love thing, then all this other stuff over here is, just comes natural. Okay? What, somebody else was saying something over here. Was it you? Okay. Love has everything to do with it. Why? How? If I love God, some of these other things we talk about, Christianity expectations. If I love God, what am I going to do? Spend time with Him. If I just approach it from the motivation of, I've got to spend time with God. I have to. In order to be this believer, in order to be this Christian, I've got to do it. And you miss the, I'm doing this out of love. What does this become? obligation, legalism, where you're basing, I'm righteous now because I'm doing this. No, I'm doing this because of love. 
I've got to be in the Word. Why? Because I love God. And I want to be what God calls me to be. Because I love Him and my affections are for Him. I'm going to share the Gospel because I love God and I love people. I love them enough to tell them, you know what? What you are doing and where you are going, humbly love grace. This is what's going to happen as a result of that. That's ultimate love, right? But our society would say, no, don't put your opinion, don't put your religion on me because that's not love. So we need to go to Jesus to determine what love is. God's highest goal for a believer is it simply to keep the rules, the checklist? No. What's God expect from you if you're a believer? Love. Because see, when we say relationship, I don't know about you, like I think of God as my father. We, we skew that a little bit. God, what does he want from me? He wants love. Love me to love him and me to love other people through this love that I have for him. Okay, let's keep going. Look at Mark 12. Let's keep going with this, Jesus and love. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have stated that he is one. God is one. That's that whole Shema thing. He is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your, your strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are what? You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. What new information did you gain from reading Mark's account of this encounter? Well, before we just had, hey, here's what Jesus said. But what's the follow-up question here? What's the follow-up with this guy? What do we see about him? He knows it in his head, but... Look at it. Look at verse uh, 33. Is that the same as what Jesus said earlier? To love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength. That's similar to what Jesus said. What about the next part? Love one's neighbor as herself. Is that the same? Yeah. And what's this guy get after that? That's more than just going through the motions. That's more than, uh, bring, my, uh, bring my sacrifice to the altar. That's more than this religious system. When Jesus saw that he answered, what, was, what did he say? Yeah. Okay, so how does this apply to where we are today. We don't make burnt offerings. We don't make sacrifices, so to speak. (laughs) 
I, I do my Bible study. I, do all, I meet all those expectations. I do this. I've walked the aisle. I've been dunked in the pool. I read my Bible. Mm, well, sometimes. And uh, I go to church on Sunday, though. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm here. And I do all these things. But what? What's verse 33 say to them? Or say to you? We need to do it with love, not just emotions. Say it a little louder. Okay, good. Priorities. The guy who's just doing the burnt offerings and the sacrifices are, are not, re- the, the person who's just doing all those things to just check off the list. What's their priority? The list, right? Love is greater than the list. It's not just keeping the commandments. Internal. A heart changed. Huh. So the ultimate question is, how's your love life? Not that love life. How's your love life? Is the Christian life to you all about keeping the list, going to church, going to, uh, you know, church every Sunday, singing a couple of songs, just reading your Bible because you got to? Or is it out of love, love for God? The expectation of you is, as a child of God, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and other places say strength. Your energy. Love God with everything. Not love God with the list. Then love others. Is that what motivates you? Is that what is... What life is all about for you. Spending your energy connected to God, love God, and then an outpour of loving people. Can you love people effectively without this lifeline of loving God? No, not at all, right? So the question remains, how is your love life? Look at Deuteronomy 6.5 and what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. Look at Leviticus 19, 18. says something similar. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Would you classify, think of Joe Schmo Christian or Sally Christian uh, that you know, the typical Christian person that you know. Are they known for vengeance, getting their revenge, or are they known for love? Think of some people that you might work with that profess to be believers. 
think of some people you might know and hear. Vengeance, hold a grudge, or love. What should it be? If we are children of God, what should it be? Love. Think of you. Am I known for vengeance, getting my way, enacting revenge, holding a grudge? Or am I known for love? This is called application, where we take the word of God and we allow it to examine our life. Am I known for being a grudge bearer or a lover? One way to better understand what the text is saying is by asking five W's and H's. What, who, what, when, where, why, and how about this passage. By asking these questions, you slow down and you marinate or you think about the text. Think about it. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Wow. That's crazy. What do you think of when you see all those? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Faith, what are you thinking back there? Just thinking. Can you just go through the motions with this? Can this just be a purely external thing? No, it's got to be change from the inside out in order to do this. Huh. Who are you to love again? God and neighbor. To what extent? As yourself. Would you say Americans love themselves? Why do you say that? Huh? South Lake? Oh, nice. Brilliant. Okay. Why do you say that, though? You know what God calls selfishness? He calls it idolatry. Where we are the God that we worship. Look at what Exodus 20 says real quick. You shall have, excuse me, what? No other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness that's in heaven or on earth beneath all those things. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who, when you have idols, what, what are you showing to God? You hate him. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who keep, those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Jump to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Honor your father, verse 12, your mother, that your days may be prolonged. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his servant or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What are those? The what? The Ten Commandments. Which of those have to do with loving God? Well, let's look at the first one. Love God or love people? Love God. Second one. Love God, love people. God. Third one. What is the third one? Oh, it's all the way on verse 7. What's the third one? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God or people? Or neighbor, okay? What about 8? Verse 8. God or people? God, it's transitioning a little bit. Um, what about the next one? Man, he's got a lot to say about that one, the Sabbath. What about verse 12, God or people? Where does he start? Your family. Whoa, you don't know my family. What's the next one, God or people? People, people, adultery. Steal people, false witness people, covet people. What ties the two together? Love God, love people. Are you going to have an idol factory where you worship yourself and worship other things? Or are you going to fulfill the commandment, love God, love people? This week we looked at Jesus' answer to a question that just is as hotly debated today as it was back then. What is God's most important requirement of his people? What is it? Tell me. Love God. To what extent? All heart, mind, soul, strength. And love neighbor as yourself. Jesus clearly defined this. Love is the glue that holds together not only what the law and the prophets is about, but the gospel as well. Without love, Christianity would be like every other religion with a set of rules, regulations, leading to legalism and bondage rather than freedom and grace. This is what Jesus meant when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees saw the law as a checklist, got it, got it, got it, of laws to a purpose as a guide to remind us. Jesus, however, identified the law as reminding us of God's love and God's, God's encouragement to love people, requirement to love people. He was apparently the first to fuse the two commandments together and use them to summarize the law. A deep sense of gratitude for what God has done for us should motivate us to love him and love other people. If you do not have this gratitude of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, and that's not the motivation for all these other things that you do, then you're a legalist. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're trying to clean up from the outside and not allow Christ to reign and clean from the inside. Did you notice the word and? Love God and love people. You don't get to choose your preference. Both loving God and loving people are at the heart of our faith. The result of loving God is that you will love people. If you don't love people, what does that say? You don't love God. That's harsh. 
Jesus, revolutionary. And loving people is the way to show the world that you love God. We must be careful not to emphasize either our devotion to God or our social concerns at the expense of the other. Some people are so focused on love people that they miss the fact that the way to love them is with the gospel. Some people miss so much, they love God, love God, try to do this, try to do this, that they totally miss the world around them that is lost. Love God, love people. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are the revolutionary one. You are the missionary that was sent to seek and save that which was lost. You fulfilled the law, you kept every requirement, and you showed us what the law was supposed to live, look like. You lived that life for us so that you could be our substitute, so that you could die in our place, so that we could be the ones that love God and love people where we are today. Father, I ask that you would take these things, that you would take through the Holy Spirit the Word of God, and Lord, that you would illuminate areas in our life where we're either not loving you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or we are not loving people. And Lord, allow us to have those hard questions where we, where we ask, why? Why am I not loving God? Am I doing this out of just looking good or am I doing this out of motivation for I love God? So therefore, I'll study the word. I will pray. I will share the gospel. I love people. So therefore, I will pray for them. I will share the gospel with them. Lord, allow us to be a generation that's marked by the greatest commandment, to love God and love people. We again ask that you be with Miranda. We ask that you would bring peace to her, allow the peace that passes all understanding to guard her, garrison her mind so that she is able to take thoughts captive. She's able to experience the presence of God where she is right now on her bed. Be with her family. Lord, use this as an opportunity to preach the gospel both to the nurses, to her family, and to other people involved in this situation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.